the Missional Life Podcast, inspiring kingdom-minded believers around the world to live the mission of God in their lives. All right, welcome back to Mission Life Podcast. Today we have Gary Ka on the show. Gary is the former Europe and Middle East Trade Specialist for the State of Indiana, Director of Hope for the World Ministry, as well as the author of multiple books, including En Route to Global Occupation and The New World Religion. Gary, welcome to the show. Welcome. Hey, it's good to be with you both. Good to see you, Dan and Amanda. Glad uh, you've got this this program going, uh, reaching a lot of people with some some good news and and some heads up too on some things that probably we'd rather not know about, but we need to, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. To that point, you know, could you share with our listeners just kind of as we get into this, a brief background of how you became interested in studying and writing about current events, as well as how you became aware of plans for a one world government. Yeah, um, back in the 1980s, um, I had the wonderful opportunity of, of working as the Europe and Middle East trade specialist for the government of the state of Indiana. So my ultimate boss was then Lieutenant Governor John Mutz. And uh, my job um, had to do with doing whatever is possible to create more jobs in Indiana by increasing our exports of Indiana-made products overseas. And so I traveled extensively throughout Europe and uh, also uh, uh, the Far East, Israel four times. Uh, We have a lot of medical companies in Indiana and uh, we're trying to get them into the export market. They had some good products. And so, yeah, so that was my job. So I was on the payroll of the state government But when I was overseas, my meetings were organized through our American embassies, and I dealt with the commercial sections of the embassies, which were under our State Department. So I learned a lot of things going on at the state level, a lot going on at the federal level that really took me by surprise. Um, Over the course of the first couple of years, um, through the, the people I met at the embassies and some of the international business leaders I met through them, Uh, especially in the medical field and also in the energy field, Uh, because Indiana, believe it or not, has coal, and we're trying to export coal. A lot of people aren't aware of that. And so I I met people in in the energy sector and the medical sector, as as well as uh, got to know some of the people at the embassies quite well. And when you spend three or four days sometimes with people uh, working, you know, on, on projects, you talk about all kinds of things. You have meals together. Um, Of course, our area was really international marketing, and so it's just one step further to talk about international economic developments, and then one step beyond that to talk about political developments, and uh, sometimes we'd get into uh, discussions on religion as well, and what concerned me fairly early on was the significant number of people working at our embassies that had a very globalist worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, they saw no problem with empowering the UN to the point of becoming a type of global government. Um, and a lot of times I would just ask questions because I, I learned that if you share where you're coming from right up front, people will clam up and they won't, you know, you won't get an honest answer really. And so I got pretty good at playing dumb, <laughs> frankly, just kind of setting people up a little bit so that they'd really share what they think. And and um, the one thing that, that concerned me was that the people who had this the more global mindset, um, one thing that they shared in common seemed to be uh, um, 
a disdain. They, they, they weren't really fond of, of Bible-believing Christians or of Israel and politically conservative Jews. And I thought that's quite interesting. And especially you have to understand that um, I grew up in a house uh, where my parents came from Europe. They went through World War II. I was born in Ohio, um, but my, my father grew up in Croatia, fled from the communists at age 12 and from the Nazis at age 13. And my mother grew up in Southern Germany uh, with a father who was very outspoken against Hitler. And so um, they eventually came to the United States after the war. And I grew up hearing about everything that they went through. And so now I'm in these meetings and I'm getting to know some of these people. And I find out that they have this globalist worldview and that they're not very fond of, of Christians or Jews. So you can imagine uh, how that piqued my curiosity. And so I began doing some digging and some research. And eventually it led to my being invited to join two organizations that, that were actually part of this globalist agenda one inside of our government and one outside of our government. And the one in our government, um, I was in it uh, for seven years. They recruited me. It was a voluntary position. It began while I was still in my job with the state of Indiana. And the first four years, I was only allowed to attend certain meetings. Uh, but then the last three years, I had secret clearance and was able to attend more. And I remember being in Washington, D.C. for a meeting where we had a guest speaker that was really built up to be somebody special, you know, and, and so for lunch, we were bussed over to the Naval uh, uh, yard there. And um, it took them probably five minutes to introduce him. They listed all the awards he'd received from the UN and then mentioned his biggest claim to fame, which was that he had been an advisor in every US administration, Democrat or Republican, all the way going back to FDR. This guy was probably in the 70s at the time. This was uh, in 1989, I believe. And um, so anyway, he got up there and he made all kinds of outrageous statements. It was clear that he was a globalist. And one of the statements he made was that we needed to move away from our Judeo-Christian ethic if we're going to be successful in the new order. And, um, and that we needed to uh, come to embrace the religious philosophies of the East. And as one who had begun studying the New Age movement by then and being on to all that, realizing, you know, how that was into Eastern mysticism and pantheism and all that, uh, I couldn't believe this guy's making these open, openly religious and political statements. It, clearly, he felt comfortable in the room, believing that the audience would have been on the same page with them. And um, there may be 200 of us there, 300 at most. Um, people from the executive office of the president representing like Department of Energy, Transportation, Commerce, uh, some people from the military, a lot of people from FEMA. And uh, I was one of maybe 10 from the organization that I was in uh, that was part of that. And when this guy was done speaking, he got a standing ovation. And I only shared part of what he, 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 he said. Um, and at that moment, I had to make a split second decision because I didn't want everybody in there to know exactly where I was coming from, but at the same time, I felt if I applaud him, I, I'd be betraying my country and also the Lord. And so I stood up, but I didn't clap. And I just looked around me and I thought, we're, our country's in big trouble. And you've got a lot of leaders behind the scenes, key figures, 
applauding this guy, a dedicated glo globalist who wants to move us away from our Jude Judeo-Christian foundation. I mean, he, he openly said it. And just one more thing I'll mention, before the meeting, uh, they told us uh, we would need to take notes. And they discouraged that because they said we'd get a transcript afterwards. Well, eventually, once we got a transcript, none of those controversial statements he made were in there. They were deliberately edited out. So these people know exactly what they're doing and, and the implications of it. Um, so that's a, a bit of, of, of the background uh, uh, where I was coming from. Eventually, I left my, uh, uh, my job uh, to write a book because I believed it was important to document these things. Um, I felt the Lord calling me to take a stand, but how in the world do you do that on this kind of a subject? You know, do you stand on a street corner in downtown Indianapolis and start warning people about the coming new world order? I didn't think that would go over too well. And so I um, uh, left my job, spent six years researching uh, and, and writing on this. And then my book came out in late 91 or early 92, right around the time when uh, then President George Bush was talking a lot about the new world order. And people were curious about what, what's that all about? And right then my book came out. So the, the Lord mm -hmm. had in time perfectly. And I never dreamed we'd uh, be doing this over 30 years later. Um, but here we are uh, still warning people about it. And of course, a lot of pieces have fallen into place since that time regarding this globalist agenda. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, just for, uh, maybe on a personal level, but also you know, for those people that maybe know, kind of, you think about the late 80s, early 90s, and the trajectory of economic development, and you see, this is the time period of the Asian tigers, right? And so I'm just wondering, is this, did, what, what with what they were saying from the, from the platform, is that more in agreement with like, hey, we need to be more inclusive of, of Asian countries and their belief set, and as they continue to be bigger pieces of uh, the economic stage? Or was it completely, I guess, uh, you know, I guess against Christians and against Judeo-Christian values? I guess the best way to describe it is I, I've come to view this as a clash of two polar opposite worldviews. Uh, one that acknowledges a, a personal God creator, the other one uh, that puts humanity at the top, and and it's a, a human centric, um, a, a type of panthe, you know, and pantheism. If you if you understand pantheism, it teaches the belief that all living things, plants, animals, and human beings, are all part of God. And if you take the sum total of all that, you have what is God. And so, in that system, we are all gods. But yet, the irony is, they worship hundreds of gods. Because when you when you believe that everything is God, it's like saying nothing is God, but we're created with a vacuum. Humans want to worship something. And so in India, for example, you've got hundreds of different gods that are worshipped today, even though at its foundation, it's pantheism. So it's a mixture of pantheism and polytheism. But all of your Eastern religions are rooted in pantheism. Uh, that you, you can trace that through Persia back to ancient Babylon. And so there is definitely a religious component to this because... Uh, if you do an analysis of who some of the top leaders have been in the, this push for globalization, and usually they belong to several different organizations, and almost without exception, uh, they'll belong to at least one or two blatantly New Age organizations. 
that promote this type of spiritism uh, that is very much opposed to the concept of, of a personal God creator and um, right and wrong from the standpoint of the Bible. And, and so if you hold to any of those views at all, uh, one of your goals is going to be to create global unity politically. Because they believe when that has accomplished that been accomplished, then this God force can function at its fullest and usher in a new millennial of peace and reign. And they say the coming world teacher will then take his place. Some refer to him as the coming world teacher, others the Christ, but they're not talking about Jesus Christ. And so this really lines up with the warnings of scripture regarding the coming Antichrist and a, a type of global government. That isn't mentioned by name, uh, but it's described in Revelation chapter 13 and 14. And, and so, but I would also say, uh, Dan, that uh, some of the people involved in this movement are just naively drawn in. They've really fallen for the idea that this is the way to bring about world peace and world unity, and they're hungry for that. And so they're, they're on the fringes of this movement. Others are involved financially. They have uh, a financial stake in it. So there's it's partly a power game because those who are helping to bring this about think they'll be sitting on top of a global monopoly, whether it's in the social media area or banking or whatever. So they get involved because they see it benefiting themselves. But behind it all, there is this religious push and uh, a, a tight connection with the secret societies, which at the highest levels are, are openly luciferic. As crazy as this may sound and conspiratorial, um, these people believe that Lucifer is the god of light and that he is warring against Adonai, the god of the Christians and Jews, to set them free from the bondage that he has placed them under by giving them all these rules and, and, and things to live by. So they see it as a liberation of mankind. And, and so they believe, believe that Lucifer is their voice. He's going to liberate mankind from this bondage. So they've turned everything upside down. And the Bible said it would be like that in the last days, that good would be evil and evil good. Uh, Paul in his writings to Timothy said that there would be uh, false teachers who step up in the last days, uh, whose consciences would be seared as with a hot iron. In other words, where they no longer even know right from wrong, they've turned flipped everything around. And so that would explain a lot about what's happening in our country right now. Things that are just mind boggling. It's like, are, is this really happening? Have people lost their minds? And when you understand what's at the core and that this is being really demonically driven, ultimately, uh, it makes more sense what's happening right now. And it is accelerating. This agenda is uh, increasing, uh, especially Really, since about 2006, it began uh, noticeably to, to pick up steam, and uh, and then over the the last 10 years, moving more quickly. And then once Trump came into power, up until that time, most of this was behind the scenes. But a lot of these people, uh, they hated Trump because he opposed globalization, and so it drew them out of the woodwork into more of a public stance. And so over the last few years, we've been able to get a, a closer look at, at how intent these people are on bringing about this agenda and also the hatred. You can sense the hatred that they have for evangelical Christians. But until about the last five to 10 years, a lot of that was beneath the surface. I knew about it because of the experiences that I had had and the people I'd come to know through my, you know, through the organizations I was in and whatnot. 
but for most people, this was beneath the surface. But now it's it's coming out into the open more and more. Yeah, you you mentioned this is kind of expedited in the, in the last few years. So can you tell us some of the different pivot points over the last you know 10, 15 years, and then kind of take us up to current and what are some pivot points that we should be looking for anticipating in the coming years? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, we've been led to be uh, to believe increasingly that an empowered system of global governance is the answer to our problems. And uh, one organization that I was in called the World Constitution and Parliament Association, they actually put out a list of 49 reasons for why we need world government to their members. This wasn't public at the time. This was back in the 80s. Um, but I think something like 13 or 14 of those reasons, something like that, had to do with the environment. So I've known for 30 years uh, that the environment would be a big piece of this, that they would argue that the world's coming undone, uh, climate change, it's, we're all, you know, the, the sky is falling. We have to have a world government to solve the problem. Uh, well, any problems there are with the environment, and there, there are some, but they can be dealt with without a world government. That's just an excuse. And, and something else um, that we're being told is that climate change is completely caused by people. And a, a good friend of mine, he has since passed. His name was Michael Kaufman. He testified before Congress on a number of occasions, uh, one of the top environmental experts in the country. And he told me once, per, to me personally, he said, Gary, if people do everything perfectly concerning the environment, it might affect a 2 to 3% um, impact on the global environment. He said 5% would really be stretching it. So if, as Al Gore says, the oceans are going to come up, what, 30 feet, um, if you know nothing is done, he made that statement back in the 80s, early 90s. And it's only come up four, four to six inches. Anyway, um, let's say that that he's right, and that somehow would happen. Well, if humans did everything possible, the water would still come up twenty-eight or twenty-nine feet of those thirty, and that's what the media isn't telling people: is that we can't have a, a small impact on it, but it's not going to change everything. The climate goes through through cycles. Um, and it's happened before, uh, six, seven, eight hundred years ago, we went through a period of time where it was warmer than now and also colder than now. And there are only a couple hundred million people on the planet at that time. There's no way they could try to make the argument that people were causing it back then. But yet it happened and it's happening again. And what's interesting is the, the one organization that I was in back when they were putting out this list of 49 reasons at that time, they thought that we were going to be going into a global ice age. And now you've got some of the same people who are still alive saying, you know, the, the earth's going to melt. And, and so, um, and then you add to that the fact that I do believe there is some weather modification going on. I'm not saying that it's the main thing, but the U.S. government, Russia, and also more recently China uh, have also been experimenting a lot with that. And so who knows how much of what's happening is being manipulated, at least to some degree. Um, and it's just one more reason uh, why the Lord is going to return when we're getting closer and closer to that, because humans have just stepped way out of bounds. Uh, they're doing things that were never intended for humans to uh, to do. But anyway, I went down a couple of rabbit trails here on you, but, but just going back, I, I knew that the environment would be a big 
deal. And, and it is, in fact, to bring it uh, current, um, in, in just a, a couple of weeks from now, on September 18th and 19th in New York City, there's going to be a Sustainable Development Goals Summit. It's called the SDG Summit, Sustainable Development Goals Summit. Um, and it's going to mark the beginning of a new phase of accelerated progress in this area in arguing in favor of world government and world laws in the name of saving the planet uh, because of uh, the uh, environment. And um, this is now from the official United Nations web page. And again, this will be in New York City at the UN, this meeting. It says the 2023 SDG Summit will take place on September 18th and 19th in New York. It will mark the beginning of a new phase of accelerated progress towards the sustainable development goals with high level political guidance on transformative and accelerated actions leading up to 2030. It's a big year for them. They're targeting 2030 to have everything in place. They go on, convened by the president of the General Assembly, the summit will mark the halfway point to the deadline set for achieving the 2030 agenda and the sustainable development goals. It will be the centerpiece of the high-level week of the General Assembly. It will respond to the impact of multiple and interlocking crises, plural, facing the world and is expected to reignite a sense of hope, optimism, and enthusiasm for the 2030 agenda. And of course, that's Klaus Schwab, you know, the World Economic Forum, all the 2030 stuff, they refer to it as the Great Reset sometimes or the New World Order. And so here, this is straight from the UN webpage. They're, you know, tying all this together with the environmental agenda. And uh, so there you go. This is... Um, this is going to be coming up in, in just a few weeks. And if I may, before I throw it back to you and, and before I forget, um, jumping forward, the biggest meeting along these lines is going to be in September of 2024. So this meeting coming up in a few weeks is going to set the stage for the meeting in 2024, which they are calling the Summit of the Future, which will also be held at the UN. And... Um, on the official UN website, they admit that one of the purposes of this summit of the future is to, quote, put in place a stronger international response playbook for complex global shocks, maximizing the use of the Secretary General's convening power in the form of an emergency platform, end quote. In other words, this would give the UN unprecedented emergency powers if a crisis occurs that they could jump in and do things that they've never uh, done before. And then um, they also put out a policy paper. It's called, and I don't want to bore you with all the details, but this is important. Uh, they laid this out in March of this year. They put out a policy paper titled Strengthening the International Response to Complex Global Shocks, an Emergency Platform. And this uh, policy paper gives several examples of what could trigger the emergency authority of the UN to implement whatever they wanna do. It includes, in their words, major climatic event, of course, dealing with the environment, future pandemic risks, a global digital connectivity disruption, which means like a cyber attack or an EMP strike, major event in outer space, 
can only imagine what that's about, and generic unforeseen risks. So whatever they deem to be an international emergency, they'd be able to invoke those powers beginning next September, September of 2024, if all this goes through, and declare an international emergency and everybody, all the member nations of the UN would have to abide by it. And uh, so what's interesting is this meeting is going to be just two months before the U.S. election, which the timing of it is, it's, it's interesting to say the least. And the Biden administration has already backed this proposal on multiple occasions. Uh, and a reporter by the name of Justin Haskins warned that if the emergency platform is approved, the United States as we know it would cease to exist, his words. So big stuff coming down the pike. And, and what I was learning 30 years ago is just laying the foundation for what we are now uh, beginning to witness. Wow. So, I'm thinking, yeah, no, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, it all sounds so good, though, in, in some ways on the surface, right, where, you know, you think of UN peacekeepers, they're there to keep peace, right? Um, they go and they help people. You think about, you know, the uh, SDG, I think, Sustainable Development Goals. Development Goals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, they're kind of the successors of Millennium Development Goals, right? So they, I mean, they're kind of replacing those. Um, and, uh, but they all sound so good. They're, they're increasing equality. They're, you know, inc increasing women's rights or de uh, decreasing poverty. You know, those things all sound, you know, things that we can advocate on the surface, right? right. Um, but they always make it sound good. Yeah. They always use pliable terminology. And that's why it, it takes a while to catch on to this, you know. Had I not be invited to join the organizations that I did that forced me to take a deeper look at where these people ultimately are coming from, um, who knows? You know, I might have I might have fallen for this myself. So it is very alluring and, and very deceptive for sure. Could you speak to, you know, just with these upcoming summits, in what way would the UN are they thinking be able to step in? Are we talking about, you know, having UN, you know enacting military action, you know, in cities and, you know, monet I mean, are we talking yeah. about being able to search houses? Like what kind of freedoms are they talking about? Are they thinking these would impinge on, you know, personally that people want to be aware of? Yeah. I, I think you'd be looking at lockdowns for sure. Uh, curfews, um, people who don't go along with this agenda or voicing opposition to it, uh, possibly being rounded up. Um, and, and so one thing that is, it is important for us to understand, um, it, I mean, I'm an investigative journalist. I've become one. And so I, I dig deep. I want to get to the bottom of things. It's, it's part of it's my nature. Um, but I, I did some research on uh, the head of the World Health Organization, which I want to talk a little bit about that in a, in a few minutes here. But his name is Tedros Gebreyesus. Uh, his last name is pronounced different ways, but that's one of them. And um, this guy was a Marxist revolutionary leader in Ethiopia, where he was responsible for massive upheaval and mayhem. And uh, many people died as a result of all that. So what happened? Oh, and by the way, he was very tightly connected to China as well. So what happens? He's made the director of the World Health Organization. He's, he's rewarded for those actions. So then you think, okay, so who's the secretary general of the UN, the most powerful person, uh, at least superficially, you could say, at the UN. And it's uh, Guterres from Portugal. 
And uh, when he was president of Portugal for part of that time, he was also the head of an organization called the Socialist International. That's the mothership for most social, socialist organizations worldwide. It's like the other socialist organizations come out of that organization like spokes out of the center of a wheel. He was the head of that. He was the world's top socialist leader. And some people just go the last step and call it communism because ultimately that's, that's what it is. So the leader of the UN is a hardcore socialist um, who's been involved in that movement for decades and, and the head of the World Health Organization, same thing. And so the UN itself, all this talk about democracy, they use democracy, they talk about democracy, but it's really something very different from democracy. And a lot of times these people will accuse other people of doing the very things that they are doing just to throw people off. You can almost take it to the bank. If they're accusing somebody else of doing something, they're probably doing that very thing. Um, in fact, we, we saw that with Trump, right? The whole Russia collusion thing, which turned out to be a, a farce. And yet look at what's been going on behind the scenes with other people involved in the current administration. And, and so um, it, it, it is, it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to believe that people are actually this evil. And maybe, Many of them probably don't recognize the evil that they're involved in, you know, because they've been drawn in one step at a time. Um, but something I did learn being in government uh, long enough um, to find out, I'm convinced that a lot of people in higher positions in government attain the positions that they do because they're blackmailable. There's something they've done that isn't on the up and up, and those above them can hold that against them. And so these people will do what they're told to do, because if not, they can be told, remember what you did 13 years ago over here? We know about that. And we, you know, they, and they can use pressure like that. So it's, it's kind of like a big pyramid structure. And so I think that has a lot to do with it. So it's not like necessarily all these people are fully on board, but some of them, once they've stepped into this movement, it's almost like there's no going back. Um, and if they do speak out on it, um, some of these people have ended up dead. Um, I'll give you one example. And this person wasn't even, he wasn't one of them, but he was one of the founding members of the Department of Homeland Security. He's a personal friend of mine. Um, he had been interviewed on television a number of times, wrote a book called See Something, Say Nothing. And it had to do with if you work for the government and you see something going on that isn't right, you're expected to be quiet about it. And if not, bad things happen. Well, he, he managed to get that book out, warned quite a few people about it. It was in the process of writing a second book. And the last time I talked to him, which was in Buffalo, New York, a few years ago, um, we exchanged copies of our books. He gave me a signed copy of his, and I gave him a copy of mine. And he said, if you ever hear or find out that, that I have died and they try to make it look like a suicide, he said, do not believe it. This guy was a strong Christian believer. Um, he was um, getting ready to come out with a new book and also preparing to get married. His first wife died of cancer. Uh, and he was getting ready to get married again. He had every reason to live. There's no way he would ever take his life. So fast forward um, a year or so later, um, I'm sitting one evening watching this Fox News. 
and their um, ticker down at the bottom says Phil Haney, author of Say Something, See Something, Say Nothing, uh, just found dead, shot to death next to his car near Sacramento, California. And uh, at first they did, did try to make it look like a suicide, the authorities. And then it was so far-fetched, they, 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 they gave up on that. They realized there's no way he could have done uh, uh, what, what they were claiming he did. But he was probably pulled over in a car for some reason and then stepped outside and, and they shot him. They killed him. And um, he knew a lot. Let's just say that. He knew a lot about what was going on, including acts of terrorism that could have been prevented in our country, but weren't uh, because certain information was snuffed out and um, uh, put under the rug, so to speak, and he was prevented from speaking out on that. So, and that's just one example. And, um, and he was not blackmailable, and that's why they did what they did to him. Uh, they didn't have anything on that they could blackmail him with, but if they could have, um, you know, uh, that, that's a situation where a person in that situation would probably be quiet because they don't want uh, bad things to come out that their family might find out about or that would embarrass them because of something they did many years ago. And uh, so there is there is a very covert evil side to this. Um, but I don't want to put everybody into that category because, like I said, I realize some people are on the fringes and they they're in it. They think this is going to bring about world peace and world unity. And that's where many of the masses are. But even many of those people have toyed and, and gotten involved somewhat with teachings of the New Age, uh, invariably Eastern mysticism. They're involved in going into altered states of consciousness through various forms of occult meditation, that type of stuff. People that are involved in that, they just have a way of getting drawn into this movement because of what they believe. So it's multifaceted, but all of it from A to Z is a is it's a deception, no question about it. You know, you think about things, um, you know, you talked about kind of other countries being subjugated under the, the UN, and you think about, oh, we're the United States, right? We No one tells us what to do. Um, and part of American power has been the idea of soft power and the idea of economic power. The U.S. dollar has been one of the, you know, the, the greatest strengths that the United States uh, has, you know, as in different ways, you know, strong as strong as our military because we can we can weaponize the the dollar in different ways as well. Um, so you know we're we're seeing so many different things of of you know so much financial instability, economic instability here in the U.S. We're seeing countries like you know the BRIC countries you know forming you know alternative currencies um, here in the future. And I remember you know seeing in your book in route to global occupation uh, at one point you know you kind of had different pictures of Earth dollars and you know they've kind of were looking at, you know, creating a global currency back then, it was more of a, you know, a physical, tangible fiat currency. But um, is that still the agenda? Or have they skipped that and just moved on right to a, a more of a digital currency, because it's much more controllable and things? Can you speak to a little bit more about that? And, and just how, um, how do you go about eroding the national sovereignty of and decision making of, of our gov governmental bodies? Um, by implementing those things that you were talking about, whether it's a an environmental uh, disaster or some of those things, how do you go about um, implementing and forcing uh, supposed uh, sovereign states to do the will of uh, of a governing body such as the UN? 
Yeah, well, uh, talking about the financial side of things first. Yeah, the electronics and the technology has just exponentially grown. I mean, the things they're able to do now that they couldn't do 30 years ago. And so what's going on right now is over 100 countries in the world are in the process of unveiling or getting ready to unveil uh, digital currencies, central bank digital currencies. And the U.S. is one of them. Uh, the Fed Now program was expected to be largely in place by the end of this past July, just a few weeks ago, which uh, provides the entire infrastructure necessary to finally do something like this. Uh, that doesn't mean it's going to be implemented right away, but the technology necessary and the base that it needs to be there to support a digital currency is now in place. So it could be any time from now over, over the next few years. Uh, Nigeria has already introduced it. Uh, they've been the trial balloon. The irony is half the people in Nigeria didn't even have bank accounts. So a lot of people are scratching their heads. How are they going to pull this off? But it turns out the government's just forcing it on people. I mean, it, it, even though people have protested by the thousands, they're, they're still pushing it. And so um, people in the West, bankers in the West are taking notes. You know, how can we go about it differently? How can we lure people into it? Um, one thing I, I see happening is that some of your big corporations and banks will gradually just say, we're not accepting cash anymore. In fact, there are restaurants down here in Indianapolis, a few of them, that they don't take cash anymore. You have to use some type of you know, credit card or something, but no more cash. And so I think there might be a gradual push to eliminate cash, very subtle, little by little by little, and then all at once. I think that's that could be the strategy uh, because they're going to have to use a different approach in the U.S. <clears throat> because right now you've got a growing percentage of people that are somewhat on to what's going on. And I think you'd see a massive uprising if in one day they just brought about digital currency and eliminated cash overnight. Um, not saying that won't happen at some point. I believe at some point it has to if they're going to fulfill their agenda, the globalists. But I think in the beginning, maybe it'll be a bit more subtle and then pick up speed. Uh, but I think if, if these people have their way by the end of 2025, we'll be in a very different country um, if they have their way. So they're counting on certain emergencies uh, taking place between now and then. Uh, probably an, another international pandemic that they can use to try to lock things down, um, possibly an economic crisis or potential collapse. Um, for example, if suddenly uh, people move away from the U.S. dollar because they see instability in the U.S., and if you uh, reduce the amount of oil that's bought and sold globally, um, that would affect the dollar because our U.S. dollar has been the reserve currency for 90% of oil that is bought and sold. And that has artificially propped up our dollar. That's why we've been able to print so much money here without a total collapse yet. But you take that away. If we move away from oil to green energy and push that agenda and the U.S. leads the way, um, you know, what happens to the petrodollars? It's going to weaken the U.S. dollar. At some point, it would collapse. And so I see these things already in motion uh, the BRICS nations, there's officially five. Saudi, Saudi, Saudi Arabia is as good as being in. Uh, they're holding meetings with BRICS. And altogether, there are 41 nations now attending some of their meetings. 
And so that shows you the trend of the future. You've got over 75% of the world's population represented by countries that are now either in BRICS or allying themselves in some kind of way with BRICS. And so it's just a matter of time till they try to take the dollar down. So that would be a crisis here, right? So then you'd have a, uh, possibly a health lockdown through the World Health Organization, through an international pandemic treaty that, by the way, they want to sign next May at the UN that would give the World Health Organization full authority to do something like this. Then you have the possible economic side of it. And then what about the war in Ukraine? The U.S. is supplying 60 percent of the funds and the equipment for that war. We're basically at war with Russia through Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine has become a proxy. I feel so sorry for those people because they're in the middle of this whole thing. It could have all been avoided, but now it is what it is, and it, it continues to escalate. And the danger I see there is if NATO and the U.S. keep funneling conventional weapons to Ukraine, um, you know, this war would just go on indefinitely. And, and sooner or later, people on the home front in Russia, they're getting tired of the war. And Putin can't win this war conventionally if all the countries in the West keep feeding Ukraine. As long as U Ukraine is willing to fight, this thing would go on indefinitely, and, and Putin can't win such a war. But what does he have? He has as many nuclear weapons as the rest of the world combined. And their strategy, this is an official military strategy now of Russia, and it has been for probably about 10 years or maybe a little longer than that. For strategic reasons, if they feel it necessary in order to win a war, they will use nuclear force. That is part of their stated uh, reasoning now. Whereas back in Ronald Reagan's day, there was a doctrine called MAD, M-A-D, Mutually Assured Destruction. In other words, if, if you fire a nuclear weapon, I'll fire right back at you. We destroy each other, therefore neither side's going to attempt it. But that's different now. That, that has changed. And so the very real possibility exists that this war could continue to escalate. And if Putin has had it with the West and realized he can't win the war through conventional means alone, um, then he, he would fire off potentially a nuclear weapon. And his biggest adversary is the US. That's where the funding and the technology is coming from for a lot of this. So to put all this together, imagine sometime down the road in the not too distant future, having a health crisis, an economic emergency, and possibly an all-out World War III scenario going on at the same time. That, I believe, would set the stage for people to be in such fear, they think, this is it, the world's going to destroy itself, we've got to do something. Then on the heels of such a conflict and such a crisis on every front scenario, uh, you would have a situation where the globalists could step in and say, We've got the answer. It has to be an all-out global government because just think, think then countries couldn't fight each other anymore because there would just be one international military force keeping the peace globally. And if you think about it historically, World War I led to the forming of the League of Nations afterwards, the first big step in the direction of global governing. World War II led to the forming of the United Nations afterwards to keep world peace. The UN is a type of world government, but it doesn't have the power that it seeks. So wouldn't it make sense that a third major global conflict would finally put things over the top where the majority of the people in the world would fall for this 
deception and say, yeah, you know, we need a world government uh, to keep world peace. Countries cause wars. Uh, therefore, we need to do away with the traditional nation state. Perhaps nations would still be allowed to keep their currencies, but they'd all be linked together electronically with, uh, in a cashless society. So it doesn't matter what country you're in, uh, it still feeds into the same system. And if they want to cut the spigot off, uh, if you oppose their agenda or don't move along with things, or if you're purchasing too much energy for your monthly allotment, they just say no more. So you go to, to purchase energy or whatever, if gas pumps are still running at that time, and all of a sudden it denies you. Um, that's the kind of power that they would have under such a system. It'd be through the purse. And so unless Christians and conservatives are, are maybe bartering behind the scenes, which I believe that's what happens historically in crisis situations. Um, I know my, my grandma uh, in Germany at the time, uh, they, they had to barter just to survive. They were farmers, so they paid with sticks of butter uh, for some of their other needs because they had a cow and they, you know, had some milk and, and butter and people get really creative in situations like that. So that's what I, I kind of see happening uh, down the road. Boy, sounds impo an impossible scenario. So what do Christians do? What what are some of the action steps that we can begin to, you know, to do to, you know, fight some of this or to prepare for for it? Maybe, you know, maybe give us some insights on in, into both of those yeah uh, i believe this is going to eventually happen and it, and it is speeding up so i'd be misleading uh your listeners viewers if i said you know we're going to go out and stop this and this isn't going to happen for another 30 or 40 years right now it doesn't appear that that's going to happen because these people control all of the major power centers and not just globally, um, but since they they uh, they do in the U.S., they do now in Brazil, uh, which was fighting this. Uh, the only significant country that is pushing back on this is Hungary, and it's a pretty small country in the overall scheme of things, and a few island nations, and that's it. So they've got the pieces in place to lunge forward fairly quickly. But having said that, I believe it is still our duty as Christians. Uh, and as Christ's ambassadors in this world, uh, to, as Paul calls us to do in Ephesians 5.11, to expose the works of darkness and have nothing to do with them. Uh, we need to be salt and light and shed light on darkness, on deception, while presenting the truth of Scripture and, and um, speaking into these situations. And so... You know, we still need to take a stand politically as well, because there are still some good people in Congress who are taking a stand on this, trying to warn people of these dark things that certain uh, organizations and individuals are, are trying to thrust upon us. And, and so we need to do what we can uh, politically. I'm not saying we ought to just give up and, and, and not vote, um, because that's a right and a freedom we have until it's taken away. But along with that, uh, there are some physical preparations I think people would be wise to make at this point, because we don't know when, if there's going to be a cyber attack or an electromagnetic pulse, an EMP, if, if this conflict with Russia escalates, uh, who knows what's going to happen in our country. And when it happens, I believe it'll be very sudden without much warning. Um, 
there are 55,000 electric substations in the United States. If nine of them go down at the same time, it shuts down the whole system, which is ridiculous that the system was constructed in that way, but that's a fact. Uh, coming straight from a military general who's been warning people about this. And so, okay, so what do we do if the if the power goes out? Well, you know, you just need to think through prayerfully. Um, having portable water purification systems would be wise because you can't do much of anything without, without fresh water. Um, having some food, uh, I'm not telling people to go bonkers and go off the deep end with it, but having a few months of uh, food supply on hand is just wise. Back in the 50s, everybody had that. But now people who have that are, are referred to as hoarders or whatever. It's just smart. Um, and you know, having some, um, for example, solar power or other um, uh, off-the-grid power sources uh, would, would also be advisable. Um, and, and just thinking, thinking through some of those things. By the way, we've put together a list, and this was by popular demand. I didn't want to do it because sometimes this grabs all of people's focus then. And then the spiritual matters uh, that go to the wayside. And so being sensitive to that, I didn't want to do it, but so many people asked, they said, Gary, we know a crisis is coming. It's obvious. We can see the handwriting on the wall. What kind of items do you recommend that we look into getting so that we're prepared? And so I actually posted this on our website. Uh, I think there are about 30 some items listed and it's just it's intended to help people think through it nobody i know has all of these uh, but it just helps people to kind of walk through ask questions and prayerfully think about maybe if they should be getting some of these items to prepare for an emergency because then it would allow us as christians to also help other people who don't know what to do if such a crisis comes but i want to focus um and, and kind of wrap up with uh, on the spiritual side of things because most people are simply not prepared to face these kinds of difficult times if they come. And I've heard people say stuff like, um, well, a good and loving God wouldn't allow something like this to happen. And I'm thinking, what are you thinking? You know, 11 of Jesus's disciples died a martyr's death. Uh, Christians in China have been persecuted horrendously for decades now. And it's been stepped up again in the last three or four years. It's, it's as bad as it's ever been over there. But somehow the view in America is that God owes it to us, that we have it easy here, and we can just step with ease in, you know, into eternity, be raptured out of here before things get difficult, and that's that. And I say, you know, it would be wonderful if that happened. I'll be the first to say that would be great. But um, what if... Uh, we get into an all-out war with Russia, and some of our cities, especially coastal cities, get nuked. The power goes out, uh, the dollar collapses, and everybody, it's every man for himself. And only those people who have seen and expected what's coming have done some preparation and are going to be in a position to help other people and also to be a witness for Christ in, in a situation like that. And I think that's where we need to position ourselves. And to do that, we need to be walking more closely with the Lord than ever before. And, you know, not just knowing certain passages of scripture and it being head knowledge, but moving from the head to the heart, where we have a, a, an ongoing daily personal 
walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, because we're going to meet, need to be close to him and be indwelt by the Holy Spirit to be able to make quick, decisive decisions on things that most of us never thought we'd be dealing with. And I think without being close to the Lord, it's going to sweep some people away. I mean, people are going to be in such a panic that I can't even imagine, um, you know, how some people will react in a situation like that. And and so a couple of years ago, the Lord gave me some passages of scripture that just have ministered to me over the years. And I just I wrote them down and th there's just a flow to them. I mean, it, it really tells a story of an, a, a very encouraging and I read through these probably about once a week on average because they're an encouragement to me. And so I just want to share these, if I may, with uh, with your viewers. Uh, and these passages come out of the Psalms, Ephesians, 2 Timothy, 1 Corinthians, and also Nahum. And I'm just going to read them straight through. This, the first one's from Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So then, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage, be strong, always remembering that the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. That's just a, a powerful word from the Bible to encourage us that we're not going to be alone. God will be with us to the very end of the age, and we can celebrate that and, and uh, take comfort in that, that no matter what happens in this world, no matter how difficult things get, the Lord is with us and our eternity is secure in him. And that's by far the most important thing. Amen. I just really appreciate you bringing the, you know, really emphasizing the spiritual aspect because that really is the primary root cause of all of this stuff that's going on is Satan does not want people to know the truth. He doesn't, he ultimately does not want people to know Jesus and he wants to drag everyone down to hell with him. And, you know, just to your point of, you know, those scriptures, um, one thing that I really felt strongly on my spirit, you know, during um, that time was just reminding listeners to not forsake gathering together, to make sure that you are part of a church community, a church body that teaches the word of God that is solid on the word that doesn't mince it, that doesn't go along with the cultural ideals, but truly is united by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And it's not always easy, depending where you live, to find such a group. And um, 
we've had people contact us over the years, and, and especially people that live in the northeastern part of the U.S. or out west where, um, you know, they have to drive 60 or 70 miles to be part of a fellowship that's really Bible-centered and walking with the Lord. And it's tragic that that's where our country's at, but um, thankfully it's not like that everywhere. But you need to find a group as close to you as possible and get plugged in because there is uh, strength that comes from that fellowship and uh, encouraging one another. Um, I don't believe that the Lord wants lone rangers uh, in this situation because it, things are going to get more difficult. They're not going to get any easier the rest of the way. I think we'd be fooling ourselves if we thought that. And so we want to position ourselves and be surrounded by a solid body of like-minded believers. And uh, and if that means that you might need to move, I, I'd say move, move now while you still can and and get close to some people like that and and be part of it, become part of a fellowship like that. Very important. And I, I love what you pointed out, how God doesn't want us to be lone rangers, because if you think about scripture, you know, Jesus himself chose not to be a lone ranger the night that he was betrayed. He had dinner with his friends, the Last Supper, you know, the first communion, they were celebrating Passover. And then even in the garden, he brought his friends with him, the disciples, and said, pray with me, please pray for me. And of course, we know they fell asleep, unfortunately, but God was still with Jesus. And so just, you know, appreciate you bringing that up too. Praise God. Amen. Just as we wrap it up here, I just it, I'm just curious on this. It, uh, there's been a number of different dates uh, and and years kind of thrown around, you know, thrown around or you know not thrown around, but just mentioned. And you know, for for those of us who like to procrastinate, um, you know, thinking about the 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 virgin the virgin and the oil, um, you know, can I go out and buy uh, all the stuff I need in in kind of May or June of of 2029? I I mean, as I'm here in 202030, is like or um, or, or a lot of these things, uh, if based off of your knowledge and kind of, you know, all the, you know, stuff that you, you've, you know, but that you haven't mentioned, you know, what kind of, what kind of time frame? you know, can you just kind of give us sort of a, a thought process yeah, on that, that as we can close? Yeah. Not, that's to, the, not to scare everybody, but for us to be, right. you know, to understand the urgency. That's one of the biggest questions I get asked uh, really regularly, uh, the timetable and, there, there is still that possibility that a lot of people in this country would repent and turn back to God, <clears throat> and that the Lord supernaturally intervenes and, and gives us more time. I can't totally rule that out. Um, you know, you have the whole Jonah and Nineveh situation. Right now, I don't see that happening in the, in the U.S., but I, it, it could. And so uh, I'm, I'm hesitant to, to give a timetable as far as this is what's going to happen. But what I can do is tell you what the globalists have planned, what they want to do. And I think it's helpful to know that because, because it gives us an idea of where they want to take things. Um, they are kicking off a seven-year plan uh, this December um, at a meeting, a big meeting they're having, uh, COP28, I believe it's, it's called. Uh, anyway. Um, and it's leading up to 2030. So clearly 2030 has become a designated year that they're targeting, that they're moving towards to have everything in place where they can basically at that point dictate to everybody in the world how they're going to live, what they're going to do, 
they believe they'll have enough control financially that they'll just be able to tell everybody what to do. And if you don't comply, they'll cut you off. So how quickly things fall into place to get to that point between now and then, uh, only God knows. Um, but the next two years are going to be huge because of all the very important meetings that they have planned. And I think I mentioned just in passing, um, next May, uh, May of 2024, uh, the World uh, Health Assembly is going to meet this part of the World Health Organization, and they're going to finalize an international pandemic treaty that would give them power to shut things down in the name of a crisis. And it doesn't even have to necessarily be a health crisis. It can be other things. It's amazing the broad sweeping power that they would have. And right now the U.S. is in on this. Um, the U.S. has given the World Health Organization authority over them on this front through the current administration. And so if we um, have an election between now and the time that everything hits the fan, you could argue, well, maybe somebody else will come in, take power, and they'll take us out of the World Health Organization. That, that's a possibility. But as things stand right now, uh, the U.S. will sign on to this next May. And then after that, all bets are off. Because if there is an international pandemic, whether real or created, um, any member nations of the World Health Organization will be bound uh, by the treaty that they have have signed. And the U.S. has actually been involved in helping to put that treaty together. In fact, uh, there was a February of this year draft, which was, what, six months ago or so? And that's their working draft that they're working off of. And the, the U.S., our health and human services people, were directly involved in helping to coach the World Health Organization on that. So if you're asking your question, well, will the Biden administration back off of that and not endorse it? They've been directly involved in helping to draft it. So, you know, all the signs are there that all of this is going to go through. Doesn't mean that it will. Something could happen at the last minute. But right now it's poised to go through. So that's why I say by the end of next year and, and especially by the end of 2025, I think a lot of this is going to be in place unless something happens to slow it down between now and then. And um, and what will the powers that be do? It, what will they do if we have a national election, if we make it to that point and things don't go the way they wanted it to go? Will there then be a crisis that happens in those two months in between? Because, you know, the election is held in early November, but a new president doesn't take office till the third week of January. So there's two months in there. So we, it, these could be some really in, interesting um, uh, moments. And um, and I think the war in Ukraine is going to play into this heavily, too. And, and um, how will that unfold? So that's the best I can do just to kind of lay out the, the possibilities. But I to answer your question more directly, people should be putting things in motion now and not put it off. Uh, many people I know who've been plugged in and aware of these things, including people that have worked in organizations that are now under Department of Homeland Security, they've been putting pieces in place for their own families for some time. We met, I'll just tell you this story real quick. Uh, I met a gentleman in Costa Rica when we were down there doing some mission work. Came down from the United States, formerly pretty high up in the Department of Homeland Security. Very level-headed guy, not at all a sensationalist. Uh, he is a believer. Um, and we were having dinner together and I asked him, 
uh, a mutual friend from down there introduced us. And so during our dinner, I asked him, okay, so what brings you to Costa Rica? Are you just down here on vacation or what? And um, I'm thinking how much of this I should share. I, I'll just say he was so alarmed by certain things he knew that he was there to find a place to purchase a piece of land that would be large enough that he could bring his entire family down there, his kids as well as grandkids, to get them out of the United States because of what he believes is, is going to be happening. And um, that, that's all I can say on that. Um, I, I don't want to give away his identity or anything, uh, but I've had numerous experiences similar to that. And again, we've had the advantage of being in this position for 30 years, speaking and writing on this. And so people sometimes seek me out, hoping I can get information out at a certain level because they're in a position even within the government where they can't do that or don't want to do that because they lose their job or they lose the access to the information they have that's giving them an idea of where things are going. And, and so um, we've had a lot of information funneled to us. We've had some some meetings with people that might surprise you. Um, and, and so I have a, a just a heavy um, burden, I guess, on my heart or responsibility to be um, responsible and, and, and credible with this information and careful with it and how it's presented. Because on the one hand, I don't want to scare everybody to death. On the other hand, if I remain quiet, knowing what's probably going to be happen in the, happening in the near future, uh, I would feel so guilty I couldn't live with myself. And so pray for me, because we deal with this daily. You know, how far do we go in sharing certain things? And and uh, and then, like I said, there are certain things I, I, I can't really share publicly, but that we know about um, that give us a, a heightened sense of urgency. And so just pray that the Lord would would give me discernment as I write mm -hmm. and speak on this subject and, and also uh, protection. And um, we've had some things happen over the years, but but God has been faithful to protect us under some uh, dicey circumstances. We thank him for that. Amen. How can uh, listeners connect with you or stay uh in the loop, so to speak, uh, on some of the different things. I know you have a newsletter that people can kind of, um, be, you know, be partners with and uh, some some books. How can people connect with you and, and stay abreast of what's going on? Yeah, our website, you can go to our website. It's very simple. It's just GaryKaw.org. And that's spelled G-A-R-Y-K-A-H dot O-R-G. And if you go there, uh, you can... Um, uh, read some of the articles I've uh, written over the past uh, few years, and we put out a research news journal. It's usually a 16 or 20 pager. It comes out quarterly, and we've got some of the, the top researchers from around the world on this subject and experts uh, who uh, write articles for that. And typically, I'll write the lead article, and then we have about eight or 10 other articles uh, as well. And we've been doing that for, I think, since 1995. And it is subscription-based because we have to be able to support ourselves somehow. And it's expensive to put this thing out. It, it, we put it out in hard copy. And um, we've had many people tell us this is the one publication they sit down and read from cover to cover. So it, it's, um, it, it, I think, is really helpful in keeping people up to date on uh, the most important of these types of developments on the religious front, the political, the economic, the environment, education, 
what have I missed? The health area, just all the different areas of, of globalization. And it's written from a Christian uh, uh, perspective. And uh, so we really encourage people to uh, uh, become subscribers to that. And also my uh, the two books I've written that kind of lay the foundation to help people understand the developments that we're seeing right now. So my book, En Route to Global Occupation, and uh, also The New World Religion, fully documented, hundreds of footnotes, actual documents on the stationery of these organizations who are working on this agenda have been reproduced in the book. So it really targets people who are skeptical, who don't believe it's happening, because if we have the evidence, why not put it in front of them, right? And that's what we've done. So we've, we've put it in there in the form of exhibits. And, uh, and then, like I said, uh, because things are moving so quickly now, uh, if I try to put out a book, it would be out of date before I get it published. And that's why we do these quarterly uh, publications, which help keep people up to date on current events that build on what I wrote in those two books. So all of that is available at our website, as is a list of items um, that we think people should consider getting. Not saying they have to get all of them, but just... I think, again, it's a list that helps people think through some of these things. That is also posted on our website. I think it's the second article. Uh, so if you go to the Update Center, uh, hover over it, and then click on Archives, it'll take you uh, down there to where these articles are. Wow. Well, Gary, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for being a watchman for, uh, for God's people uh, for this time and this hour. And uh, we just speak blessing and favor and protection over you. We thank you that God's not given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and 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 self discipline. And 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 so we just thank you that you are courageous and that you're going to continue to um, just do and 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 discern all the things that you need to share at the proper time. In Jesus' name. Well, thank you. Praise the Lord, and thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, Dan and Amanda. Keep up, keep up the good work. Thank you.